can't. It's a word we say with finality that leaves no room for discussion. Can't indicates that we've made up in our minds that something is not possible, that we don't have the capacity, or maybe we don't have the desire. And when you're sitting and suffering, can't can easily find its way into your vocabulary. Suffering creates a context where so much seems impossible, and that can lead the suffering to feel heavier and more unbearable. For Wendy, the word can't is not allowed in her vocabulary. Wendy's story is powerful. Years ago, a flesh-eating bacteria utterly changed her life and created a context in which can't could have been a common word. However, she knows something now that she's inviting all of us into, that we can choose not to use the word can't. If you're in a situation in which the suffering is making things seem impossible, Wendy's story will encourage you. You're listening to episode 120 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for creating a space for this conversation. And we just know that you can do abundantly more with our words. We just want to name that you're going to do something great with this conversation, even if we don't know what it is. And so we want to give it to you. We want to give you our words and our thoughts, all of it to you so that you can take this where you want to take it. And we just want to thank you in advance for how you can work even just through simple dialogue. Let's pray in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Wendy, I'm glad we're able to connect. We connected because you heard about me through Darcy and Darcy just keeps coming up <laughs> in so many conversations. So God's definitely doing something, but it's awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited about this conversation because I only know like a sentence about what you're going to share. But before we get into all that, what would you want people to know about who you are before we start a conversation? I think first and foremost, I am a child of the King. I've been a Christian for about 30 years, but it wasn't really until my faith was tested in a big fat way that I was able to really get that relationship stronger and more developing. Mm -hmm. And that all came out because fun fact about me, I'm a quadruple amputee as a result of a flesh eating bacteria. So that's a, <laughs> that right there, that's a big, a big story. And I feel like I just want to jump right in because I know there's so much that God's done through something that immediately when people hear that, they can't think of anything redemptive from something like that. A flesh eating bacteria, just people don't know how to make anything good out of that. And so, Wendy, tell me a story. All right. Well, before I do, I just want to say a lot of people think that when things like this happen to people, it's like the worst thing ever and life just ceases to be okay. But I found so many blessings in my situation. And, you know, oftentimes we look for what is our calling with God? What does he want us to do? And I got to tell you, as horrible as the experience has been, I believe that God allowed it to happen so that I could work for him mm. in helping other people through it. Yeah. 11 years ago, I thought I had the flu and spent a couple days in bed. My husband was finally like, we need to go to the hospital because you are not getting any better. Mm. And I didn't even make it to the hospital because I stopped being able to breathe. I couldn't breathe. 
So we had to pull over and call the ambulance to get some oxygen to get me the rest of the way. And the last thing I remember was them putting an oxygen mask on my face. I was in a coma for three weeks. They diagnosed it as a flesh-eating bacteria. Nobody really knows where it came from, but the best guess is it came from an ingrown hair, Hmm. if you can believe that. At one point in the coma, doctors were telling my family, she's not going to make it. There's no way she's going to make it. And my husband looked that doctor square in the eye and said, you know what? You don't know my God and you don't know what he's capable of. And she's not going anywhere. (laughs) And so our church rallied and I had a business and everybody across the country had heard about this. And we had prayers going from one part of the country to the next. And you know what? After a few days, things started to look up a little bit. The only thing is they kept operating on me to remove the bacteria and it was growing. And when the fever would spike, they'd have to go back in and operate again. Hmm. But at one point, my organs started to shut down and they realized the only way they could save my life was to amputate. Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot about the time that I was in the hospital, but I do remember them waking me up from the coma that I was in. And the doctor was there. My husband was there. And they said, look, you're not doing so hot unless we amputate because it's the only way we can save your life. And it was almost like they gave me the choice after I'd been sleeping for two weeks. They <laughs> wake me up for five minutes and then ask me if I want to live. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, yeah. You know, my husband was standing there. He was crying. And I don't know where the kids were. They were probably not allowed in the room. I had three teenagers at the time. And I said, do what you got to do. Lights went back out. And when I woke up, I had bandages where my hands and feet had been. Mm. And so I spent two months in the hospital, another month in a rehab facility before they would let me come home and start living life all over again. Wow. Those are hard situations when it comes out of nowhere and hits hard and there's no gradualness to it. It's just, bam, life is different now. It's a unique situation for you on the first part of the story, because like you said, you're out for most of it. (laughs) So the pain of that space was probably felt more by your husband and others than you, which is a whole story, I'm sure, in and of itself. You know, you come home and we talk about restoration a lot in the church. And when we talk about healing, we're thinking of it in terms of how can God make this go back to normal? But you're in a situation where it's not like, you know, you're operating with a lower capacity, but maybe you could get back to normal capacity. You have had parts of your body removed that God could do anything. He could miraculously make them grow back. Oh, yeah. But there is a high likelihood that that's not what he's going to do. And so you came home and you had to suddenly live an entirely new life. What was that like? It was hard. It was really hard because I was... I don't think life source is the best word for it, but I was where the whole household revolved around. You know, I took care of everything. Mm. I cooked, I cleaned. The kids were all in various activities and my oldest was getting ready to graduate. In fact, I had to break out of rehab to even go to his graduation. They weren't going to let me go. So these were critical times. The kids were 13, 15, and 18. And they needed me. When I came home, I was in a wheelchair and I rolled in the door and life had to go on. I had to continue. Thankfully, we had family that cared for the kids while my husband was with me in the hospital, but I still had to be a mom. Mm -hmm. 
eventually my husband had to go back to work and here we are. So I always thought it was important for my kids to learn how to help around the house. And they learned how to cook and clean and fold clothes and all of those things from a very early age. So we were at a point where they were willing and able to help in those ways. You know, I had drivers so that they could go to the grocery store and that kind of thing. The hard part, I think, was my mindset had been just, what do I do now? Hmm. I was having my prosthetics made. And, you know, prosthetic legs are easy. You pop them on and you run around as if nothing is wrong. But when you lose your hands, Mm -hmm. it makes a world of difference. Now, I am a writer. I have a blog and I run a business and I use a stylus strapped to my wrist. And that's how everything works. But we had to figure stuff out. How am I going to write? How am I going to care for myself? And to this day, there's a lot of things I still cannot do that I need my husband for. The kids have all moved on. They're all living on their own and we're empty nesters. But the hardest part was, why did this have to happen? Mm -hmm. And I went through a phase of, what did I do to deserve this? What sin did I commit that this had to happen? Through prayer and studying with our church, we just realized that things happen, not because of things that we do. Sometimes, yes, that's, you know, we get chastised. Mm -hmm. But Other times things happen for the benefit of others. I can give you an example of this. My sister, when she was 26, got ovarian cancer. And my mom was saved as a result of that situation. Mm. Mom's passed on, but she's living with Jesus now, Mm -hmm. where she wouldn't have been had we not been faced with that circumstance. So things happen where we become bigger witnesses for the Lord, because you know, People watch us as Christians all the time, and they're waiting for us to just mess up. And there were a lot of people watching to see how this family responded. Were we going to curse God and die, or were we going to just continue to praise him, give him all the glory, and move on? And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. We all did. I realized that God allowed this in my life for, and I love this part because I'm living out 2 Corinthians 1.4 which says God comforts us in our tribulations so that we can comfort others in theirs. Mm -hmm. It took me a few years. I was in a pity party for a while because you just couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And one day, my daughter, she was about 21 at the time. She goes, Mom, I want to go tubing. Let's go tubing in the river with no hands and feet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, what are you, out of your mind? She's like, no, you can do it. Now, I want you to know, my family never saw me as handicapped. Mm. They never thought that there was nothing that I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. So when she said that, she didn't think it was an odd request. I was the one that was just having a panic attack. Like, what sense does it make to stick a woman with no hands and feet in an inner tube and float her down the river? But it actually ended up being the turning point in my mindset. We had the best day. Mm. And whereas we're floating down the river, we're talking about all these things that we could be doing and places we could go. And and what if we wrote about it and told people about it and helped them to see that life doesn't end when bad things happen to you? My son had always told me I should be writing a book. And I was like, yeah, no writer. I'm no writer. I'm not going to do that. But a blog made more sense. And so After the intertube day, we came home and I actually, I think it was the next day I set up my website Mm. and started writing because I thought, 
you know, there's people out there that need to know that can't doesn't have to be a word yeah. because it was a word that I had used for a very long time, hmm. but I haven't used it since. Hmm. People started reading and I started getting emails and it just grew from there. My life has been so completely blessed by that to know that other people are just inspired by this crazy lady with no hands and feet that just writes up a storm on the internet. I love that. And it's such a different picture than, again, when we started this and I mentioned what people's gut response is to something like losing your hands or feet or flushing bacteria. It's very hard for us to have enough imagination to get to what you've just described. But this is where you are. Yeah. <laughs> what I really love about it too is we are very much a culture that is about independence and self-drive and like, I can do this by myself. But what I love about your story is that what you just shared about how this blog came about didn't come about because you had this grand idea and you got it together all by yourself. It's that it was a combination of God and others. Mm -hmm. Like We're called to love God and love others, which to me means we're called to be in relationship with God and with others. Mm -hmm. And because of you being in that relationship, this thing came about where you wouldn't have gone out to go tubing, which then meant you wouldn't have ended up setting up a website, which then meant you might not have ended up writing all these things that later on brought these people to you. And so it's beautiful to see how what you brought to the table was God, I don't know what's going on here. I don't like it. I don't know. Did I do something wrong? I'm going to keep praising you nonetheless, even though none of this makes sense. Like that's what you brought to the table. Mm -hmm. And then God took that a little bit and said, now watch what I can do. Watch the abundantly more I can do through me, through your family, through others. You're sharing all this with a smile, with an authenticity around how you said earlier, as horrible as the experience has been. Even with that qualifier, you are smiling, yeah. you are joyful, and you are grateful for how God is using this. And I think that's beautiful because it's hard for us to get to that point when we're having struggles. When you were at some of the deepest points of the struggling, when you really questioned yourself or God or what life could even be, what do you think allowed you to just take another step forward? I couldn't just sit, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. I couldn't just wait out the rest of my life in that space. Yeah, I prayed every day. I studied more and more and more in the Bible. And I really wanted to know, what do you want me to do with this? I am a huge proponent of gratitude and counting your blessings and positivity. In fact, you really don't want to be in a negative conversation when I become part of the conversation because chances are it's going to get shut down really quick because I tend to look for, well, yeah, well, this terrible thing might have happened to you and you got into a fender bender, but what good happened today? You know, I believe that joy comes from the Lord and it doesn't matter what happens to you. If you've been saved by the grace of God, joy is a fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. My mom used to call it hanging a Hummels verse. I don't even know what that means or if <laughs> I'm saying it right, but you can't be having a negative perspective on life and pessimism and negativity just doesn't resonate with me. Mm -hmm. So I'm very optimistic and joyful and I'm at peace. That's one of the things that I try and teach people, that you can have peace and joy in your life amid the trials of your life. You've got to let God help you with that. It's not all you. It's never about all you. Mm -hmm. But with God, you can have those things. 
And I'm not saying, you know, we don't have sad days or frustration or any of that, but I'm just saying that with God, you can have peace and joy in your life. We really do put these limitations up. We have our mindset of how things work and what's required for those things to happen. And if that's gone, then we just can't really see a way forward. Mm -hmm. Somebody might see you and they see, oh, she doesn't have hands or feet. And in their minds, they immediately shut out a whole category of opportunities for you because there's just no way. But what I appreciated in your story is you mentioned, you said that your family never saw you as handicapped. And this idea of identity has come up a lot in conversations, not just how we see ourselves or how other people see us, but how that impacts how we understand reality. And I can imagine in your hardest moments, you mentioned, did I sin or this, that, and the other, you know, the way you introduced yourself was that you're a child of God. <laughs> and I can imagine in those moments that identity was put to the test of, am I really that? Why would a good father let their child go through this? And it could be very easy to see yourself as handicapped or to be influenced by other people seeing you as handicapped. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, your family didn't see you as handicapped. They saw you as Wendy, as wife, as mom. <laughs> and then God never saw you as handicapped. He still saw you as his child through whom he could do abundantly more, through whom he could do things without limitations. And so tell me more about that piece, that identity piece, and how that wove its way through your journey to where you are now. I don't look at myself as disabled. I mean, it's a word that people throw around, mm -hmm. but I always like to look for what could be, what we can do, not what we can't, but what's possible. My heart just breaks for people who give up and that's not what he wants us to do. You know, we need to use our experiences to be better witnesses, especially now because the world's just crazy more people need to hear about him. It's funny because my husband and I will go to the grocery store and I'm just running up and down the aisles with my cart. And like you said, I always have a smile on my face. Mm -hmm. My husband does too. And people will approach us and say, wow, why are you smiling? And I'm like, why not? Mm. Why frown? Yeah. Why waste your life that way? Focus on what you can do, what you're able to do, not what you can't. Yeah. That simple grocery store story, though, really hits at something just heartbreakingly broken about how we see the world, is that there were people that would see you and their default assumption is there's no reason she should be smiling. <laughs> like they are shocked to see you smiling. And it really indicates how limited our understanding is, because logically, yes, there are things that you can't do now, at least not in the same way. Right. But for all the things that we can't do when a hardship comes about, God's imagination is such that there's a world of things that we can still do or that we can do now that we couldn't before. Because again, your blog wouldn't have needed to exist as it does if your life was fine. <laughs> right? Like if, yeah. if there was never the flesh eating bacteria, if everything was normal, you just write a blog about your normal life. You are able to write about God inviting you into extraordinary things. <laughs> this situation, this hardship opened up something, equipped you to be able to do something that you wouldn't have been able to do before. Mm -hmm. And so we have limited imagination, <laughs> like we have limited understanding. 
And the goal isn't for us to figure out all those things, right? right? The goal is actually for us to submit more and more to God, to trust God more and more because he already knows. And if he knows, we don't have to figure it out. We just have to be following him and allow him to show us. Right. You know, what you're doing is by simply living out what it means to be a child of God and an ambassador of Christ. It is having an impact in both direct ways, which is you write something and somebody responds back and says, hey, your words inspired me. Mm -hmm. Those are great moments. But it also happens indirectly. The person who was in the grocery store who didn't come up to you but saw the interaction was confronted in their idea of what it takes to be happy in life. And a seed was planted and you didn't even know that person was in the grocery store. But God changed their lives through your steps of obedience. I had a woman come up to me in the store one day and all she said to me was, I love you so much. I'm like, okay, (laughs) thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, moments like that just make you smile because I have no idea what she was going through that day. And maybe that was just all she needed to see me upright and carrying on. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that moment. And I have on my prosthetic legs, I have like little butterfly tattoos on the outside. And that gets a lot of attention because people are like, wow, look at that. Mm -hmm. And just a little butterfly, people respond in a way that you still make me smile with those legs on. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. It just blesses me every single time. Yeah. I just finished editing a conversation that focused on this idea of normalcy and how we can get really attached to an idea of what is normal and our desire to be normal. And anything less than our metric for normalcy is bad. And at best, you can dress it up a little bit, but it's still a lesser life. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing is not that. Somebody could look and say, oh, well, your life's bad, but at least you're able to smile. And what you're saying is, no, actually, like, yes, there are hard things. There have been hard moments. There are still things that I may wish that I could do this way, but you don't understand the fullness of life that God is providing for me here. You don't understand how I am utterly different now because of this. And I'm so joyful about it, right? So it's not that there is a lesser life here that's just being dressed up with nice things. You know, Jesus said, I've come that you could have life and have it to the fullest. But his invitation there was just wrought with hardships. Mm -hmm. The disciples stepping into physically hard spaces, emotionally hard spaces, spiritually hard spaces, being misjudged, being put into the face of death. This was the path to full life. But everyone else was thinking, ah, you've got to avoid those things in order to have a good life. And it's like, no, actually, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. I think that's the piece that I love so much about what you're sharing is that you have said several times that God has invited you to an outward focus. Mm -hmm. You said something to the effect of sometimes our hardship isn't about us, but it's about what God is doing for others. Yes. How would you encourage people to start to cultivate that kind of a mindset without having to rely on a hardship to get them there? I'm a firm believer that the hardships, the struggles, the trials, whatever that we go through are a means to bring us closer to the Lord, to grow us spiritually. It's like throwing us in the fire and all the impurities coming off and the piece of gold that comes out of it. Mm -hmm. Looking for what's good about your situation. When I first woke up from that coma, you know, actually before they amputated, I had the opportunity to see my hands, Mm. which were black. 
and they were hard and gross. The next time I woke up, I had these bandages. The very first thing that I remember from that is going to the Lord in prayer and saying, you know, it's you and me here. Mm -hmm. I can't do this by myself. And oftentimes I will get asked, well, did you ever get angry at God? Did you ever want to run from him? And my reply is always, why would you want to do it on your own? He's the <laughs> only one that can get us through this. Yeah. So I remember praying my favorite scripture, and I use it for everything. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. And in all thine ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I'm afraid of a snake in the yard or I'm missing body parts. I fall back on that because it tells me that if I follow him, if I trust him, if I don't try and reason things out on my own, mm -hmm. well, this is why this happened and that's why that happened and blah, blah, blah. If I just trust him, he's got the world's eye view of what's going on and he knows this could have been the better thing, you know, between two evils, this is the better option, then he's going to guide me. Yeah. I just got to trust him and follow him. Yeah. You know, I love that passage too. And that's been a shaping influence on my life for a couple of decades at least. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it is, you know, it says lean not on your own understanding. But what that means is it's acknowledging that you do have your own understanding, that that will still exist. You will still have how you see the world. But the invitation is, is to just not lean on it. Right. Right? It's like God saying, I understand why this seems hard to you. I understand why this seems confusing to you. I understand why you feel like there's no way forward. Totally get that. All right. Don't lean on that. Submit to me. Trust me. Mm -hmm. This way of seeing the world, of acknowledging what you are perceiving and then still deferring to God is something that is accessible to all of us. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it takes hardship and struggle for us to get there because it costs us something to make that choice. Because when you decide not to lean on your understanding and when you decide to submit to God in all your ways, there could be things that you want that you'll lose. Yes. You know, Jesus talked about dying to self, but that invitation is still there right. for anyone and everyone. That opportunity to experience the kind of joy you're talking about of smiling as you run through the grocery store is accessible to anyone. All these things are accessible to anyone. And, you know, the verse you mentioned of comforting with the comfort you received, I think this is the beauty of what God's inviting us to is that in our minds, it's our singular stories. Mm -hmm. I had my life, this hardship hit, I sought God and he made it better. But God's like, I want abundantly more. I want full life. And so... When now you have experienced your story and now you are sharing it, there are people that might not have to go into such hard spaces or go to such a depth in, did I sin? Did I do something wrong? Because now that they've heard your story, <laughs> when those thoughts come in, why is this hardship happening to me? They'll remember, oh, Wendy felt like this too, but she came through this to a place of joy. So maybe I can too, even though I don't see a way forward here. By us continuing to be obedient to God to the point of sharing what he has done and who he has been, mm -hmm. it's doing things far beyond us, which is amazing. It's funny. People come to me and they'll say, you know, I've been having this ailment or that ailment, but you know what? I think about you and then my life doesn't seem quite so bad. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, there's a compliment. Mm -hmm. Don't say things like that to people. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, 
I find myself often telling people, it doesn't matter if you have a hangnail and it's the biggest part of your day. That's your life. That's what you're living. It's big to you. Don't compare yourself to me. Please don't ever compare yourself to me Mm -hmm. because it's your reality, not mine. Mm -hmm. Cope with what you have and don't minimize it. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel bad because you have a hangnail. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and we mentioned earlier, there's this piece of your story that wasn't as hard for you because you were in a coma. How did you see God work in the midst of your family having to sit in the space of suffering because of what you were going through? I think my husband is probably just the greatest example of faith because he would come and read the Psalms to me while I was unconscious and he just never left my side, but he never doubted that I was going to make it. And they told him I wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, the kids, they didn't know what to think. All they knew was that they didn't have their mom at the moment and they wanted her back. They were there. They pulled together. We've always had a really close family. They had to trust God, too. Mm -hmm. What choice do you have Mm -hmm. when you're faced in that situation? Their faith grew watching people come together in prayer, watching mom heal when they were told that she wasn't going to. Mm -hmm. Watching God work in the people that were there praying. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it in other people, you know, when I've prayed for them. I have a friend who's on her third bout of cancer and watching her faith just in our church makes all of us stronger. Mm. Fortunately, these little situations of hardship that happen within the church family serves to grow the faith of the church Mm. and make it stronger and bring it closer together. You know, we don't want to scatter when hard times are coming our way. Mm -hmm. We need to pull together and lean on each other. Yeah. The opportunity here is that stories like yours can allow us to see realities in these big, intense situations, that God can still be God and good, even in the worst physical hardship, so that we can take it and say, well, if that's true there, then surely it's true (laughs) with this hangnail. Surely it's true with this job situation. Surely the same God that was with Wendy is with me in this And so it invites us to start practicing out what it means to seek God in these smaller ways so that when bigger things come, it can because the alternative that we default to is we're just protecting ourselves and we're operating out of fear. We think of all the hard things that could happen and we try to avoid those. But the funny thing about your story is it potentially started with an ingrown hair, (laughs) like this one little tiny thing that nobody was aware of started all of this. And there is no amount of protecting yourself that could have avoided these things. It's hard to find joy in a life like that, where you're just constantly avoiding, constantly operating in fear, or to your point, constantly operating with the word can't. Yeah. But you've invited people to a different way of living that can happen when you don't have hands or feet, or can happen if you have all of your limbs, this way of living that is accessible to everyone. And so- Yeah. You know, as we start to wrap up, there could be somebody listening that's in a similarly hard place. And I think unique to your story is it's not just that you were thrust into this hard season suddenly, but that if you came out of it, life would be utterly different. And there could be someone that's in a similar place that is feeling the weight of the suffering. 
How would you encourage that person right now? Pray. Boldly go before the throne of God and pour out your heart and pray and let go. I often told my kids when they were younger, and I use this all the time, when I've got something I'm hanging on to and I can't let go, whether it's something I'm anxious about or somebody I have trouble forgiving, pretend putting it in a box and wrapping it up with a big old bow and physically handing it over to Jesus. Mm. And if you can imagine that, in my experience, it's hard to let that box go. You know, you can physically feel that tug of war when you're trying to get rid of it. But as soon as you let go and let Jesus take a hold of that burden, that box, for me, it's a physical release of peace. Hmm. Okay, yours. I'm not going to play tug of war with you anymore. I have to let it go. Because there's things that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. And you have to let it go. That's why I'm so passionate about helping people to do this. You know, I have several things that I worked on during that time. And that was prayer and Bible study, gratitude, serving other people. Imagine if you're having a crummy day, but you've got a friend who's going through something and you pick up the phone and you call them or you make them cookies. All of a sudden, your burden is not the problem anymore. When you move that to somebody else and serve them, you're going to lose that heaviness that comes. Just focusing on joy and positivity. I like to say now, because I've moved into coaching, that I lift women out of chaos and into everlasting peace and joy that can only come from the Lord. And we work on Bible study and prayer to do that. Mm -hmm. Because it's the first thing. Until you get that faith part, I don't know how people can do it without the Lord. Hmm. If there's someone listening who's thinking, Oh, I want to learn more about this blog. I want to learn more about this coaching. I want to I want to connect with Wendy. What's the best way for them to do that? My blog is oneexceptionallife.com. I have a freebie that I give out. It's five steps to unlocking peace in the midst of the storms of life. It's five basic things that I have focused on. It's what I teach. It's just the first steps to helping you get out of the chaos and into the joy. That's great. That's great. I'm on Facebook too. Finally, you know, is there anything else on your heart that you feel like God's inviting you to share? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Words to live by. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the The concept of can't isn't just an issue for us, but has been an issue for generations even among those who believe in God, even when we're aware that God can do incredible things. Living within the mindset of can't has kept people from experiencing the fullness of God and His invitations. Moses lived into the can't when invited to let his people go, and he said, I can't speak well. Gideon lived into can't when God invited him to lead an army, and he said, I can't, I'm the least of these. And sometimes we speak can't into others. Like when Jesus said that he would die and be raised again, and Peter said, you can't die. Can't robs us of the opportunity to know who God is and what he's inviting us into. 
There's a powerful example of this in Matthew 19, starting with verse 16. And behold, a man came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This young man had committed his life to keeping all of the commandments, but at this invitation of Jesus, he lived into the can't. In his heart, he had settled, I can't do that. And this is such a profound moment that it struck the disciples. The disciples likely saw this young man as someone to look up to. I mean, this guy had kept the commandments, yet even he seemed to fall short. In fact, they say to Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus' response to them is his response to us when we are leaning into the cant. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. People look at Wendy and have made up their minds about what she can and can't do. In her hardest moments, even Wendy had her own can't list. But that's not where she is now. Wendy is living into that reality that with God, all things are possible. It has changed how she sees herself, how she lives, but also how she understands God beyond herself. And the same God that Jesus spoke of, the same God that Wendy knows, is the same God that is sitting with you now in your suffering. This God knows all the things that you believe are impossible, whether because of capacity or desire or resources, and he is saying to you calmly, with man, things are impossible. But with me, all things are possible. Right now, in the midst of your suffering, God wants you to see him. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to know that you are loved. Your invitation is to not lean into the can't, but to lean into him, the God that can do the impossible. So whatever your situation today, choose to lean into him, and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone 
on your device or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>